Hi everyone, I'm Claudia and I'm welcoming you to the Mostly Awesome podcast, a podcast about the personal journey of innovators and changemakers. We talk to doers and thinkers to understand what motivates them and why they do what they do. Today we are speaking with Giri Ryerson. Giri is from the Spring 2019 class of CDTM and the co-founder and CPO of Tanzo. Tanzo is a climate tech startup focused on carbon accounting and they recently raised 6.5 million in a financing round. Today we talk with Giri about her personal journey, her time at CDTM, her experiences with Tanzo and her outlook on life. So, Giri, thank you so much for coming to the podcast today. We're going to start with some icebreaker questions. And the first one is going to be, basically, if you could acquire a new skill, which one would it be and why? And of course, absolutely with no effort. Whew. I, I currently have this dream of being able to walk on my hands. And I think I have a mental blocker, not able to, <laughs> able to do it or put in the consistent effort for it. Wow. Well, if I had to say any skill, I would for sure say singing. But you're already at the CDTM band, so you basically don't need that skill. You already have it. Okay, and now if we're going to get more into detail and we want to get to know you better, how would you describe yourself and how does your day look like? Who is Giri? Yes. So maybe first, like my, my, who I am and my background, I'm Giri Norwegian. I was like, born, and raised, born and raised in Norway, moved abroad when I was 18. I've always been quite the nerd, I have to admit. Nerding out on every single topic I come across, very curious as a person. I've been quite active in the climate space for the last 10 years. I have a background in from Tomini TH at doing AI and robotics. Thank you for that. And now that we know a bit about yourself, let's get into Tanzo. What was the inspiration behind it? Why did you decide to found? Yeah, I think it, first to set the scene of it, the so we all know the climate, the climate crisis is a thing, and that global warming is increasing, and there's devastating effects by it. What I think most people don't know is that in order to stop global warming, you need to reach net zero. That means that the amount of emissions that reaches the atmosphere and the amount of emissions that are captured are at a at zero, right? That is where you have to get to. You have to get to zero in order to stop the warming. Not to decrease it, but to stop it. And currently, if you look at our our, our spend, our emission spend per year, we're at 50 gigatons. And 50 gigatons, if you think of burn, in startup terms, you have a burn of 50 gigatons per year. And we have on our carbon budget, currently a runway of six years. So if we go bankrupt in six years, if we want to stop at 1.5 degrees, that is, is something that has terrified me for the last years. And with that, I also was quite certain that I want to spend my career in figuring out how to reduce these emissions, how to get to net zero and how to avoid the catastrophic, yeah, the future that we're actually facing and that my children, my grandchildren will face. Because when you think about it, the, we talk about 2050 all the time. And you know, 2050 is the goal. 
But let's face it, the consequences will first appear after 2050. For our children, it's going to be hell, no matter what. So I already decided that I wanted to do a career in climate and also spent my, my research time at ETH focusing on how to use machine learning to, to both monitor and track emissions coming from forests. So sequestration of carbon trees are the best technology that we currently have. They realized that the problem is bigger than that. The problem is not necessarily that we're, so we're not able to suppress all the emissions through forests anyways. We're currently emitting more because we're cutting down forest. So we're emitting more uh, emissions through forests than sequestering. And realized the problem, so we did together with, uh, with my co-founders, we did um, calls to many, many stakeholders in the industry in different types of, of industries. And realize the problem is not necessarily that people don't want to do something about it. There is a willingness. There's regulation coming up. It's just that there's no transparency. If I ask you, guys, what is your biggest source of emissions? Do you know? I would take, I guess, uh, probably transportation, like a car. But you don't know. No. Yeah. And think about being a big industrial company. What is the biggest source of emissions for the company, both in own operations as well as in the supply chain? Most companies actually don't know. There's no transparency. Um, and industrial companies are also responsible for 30% of the entire European emissions. So 30%, a third of the emissions, we don't know where it comes from. And the people who actually can control these emissions don't know what to do then, right? Or they focus on employee commuting programs. So let's strive to work together. Mm-hmm. And that is 0.01% of their emissions. Um, so that was kind of our motivation. We realized there's a big gap here, understanding and effective action measures. And, and therefore, we, we decided to go into this and, and build a solution that helps yeah. companies to easily get an overview and easily know where to put their money to reduce their emissions the most. Oh, thank you very much for that. It's really interesting. By the way, do you think that the legislation currently in pre- place in the European Union is helping your company, Tanzo? Thrive. Regulation in the EU specifically plays a significant but also a very critical role. I would say, like, if without the Paris Agreement, we would not be where we are today. And that is the the national legislation that it's required by the Paris Agreement, but also supporting supporting this reduction. And for us, of course, it plays a big role. There are over fifty thousand companies, twelve thousand are industrial companies and manufacturers that are our target group that have to start in 2025, 2026, have to start reporting their emissions yearly. And that, of course, is our market. You know, that's that's a big market to capture. But it's also, we also see it interestingly enough that it's not only the regulation driving it, there's also intrinsic motivation from companies. And if you want to be competitive going forward and your customers is requiring you to reduce your emissions so that they can get good carbon neutral supply chain. Um, it's also more and more competition coming into play. Can you probably explain a bit more about the technology and how Danzo's automation process is different from the traditional ones for carbon accounting? I think, I think it's important to start with carbon accounting by itself. It's based on standards. Mm-hmm. It's the same with financial accounting. If you, if you compare it to financial accounting, you can have a quite cool software that does it for you and automate it for you, but it's all based on the on the same manual pluses and minuses and multiplications that you have in as a baseline and rules for how to categorize your different 
spent on mm-hmm. different emissions. So it's, it's called a greenhouse protocol or ISO 14064. That is the corporate carbon footprinting center that, that all carbon accountings are based on. And what we do is that we see that there's only reduction potential if you go to a granular enough level. So meaning that if there's so one, one way of doing it or one methodology that's currently a lot used is spend-based calculations. Meaning that you take per, per euro spent on buying steel, for example, you say these are the emissions associated with that euro. But that's very inaccurate. How do you differentiate then between two suppliers of steel production? You can't, right? Mm-hmm. One euro here and one euro there is the same. And in order to actually know where your emissions come from specifically, you over time have to go to real data. And where we currently, uh, how, we, how we do it is that we have a lot of focus on data ingestion. So you have a big data, have a product, you need to be able to automatically uh, integrate or import data from existing system. So we work a lot with ERP systems, logistics, and take then, or energy management system for that matter, and take the granular raw data and then cluster it or map it with the different categories that they're in and then calculate it automatically by that. I often get asked, where's the AI, right? I'm an AI engineer. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, of course, would be my dream. But I think there's, there's, there's an immaturity currently in carbon accounting. It's such a new field that there's a lot of education to be done. Mm-hmm. In Germany, you call it Buchhaltung, so bookkeeping. And in financial accounting, and it used to be in books. It used to be written up yes. in yeah. bookkeeping mm-hmm. books. And carbon accounting is still quite early in first just getting the data digital before you can then do smart benchmarking and analysis on, on top of that data. And AI based on five data points is not really AI. It's, you know, linear regression or something mm-hmm. super statistical simple or just basic logic. And it also needs to be auditable and fully explainable. I wanted to ask you a bit about your journey with Tanzo. I remember when we started out at CDTM, they showed us a slide with, uh, with a duck on it, and it's called the duck metaphor. And the duck basically stays afloat by, by flapping its feet, but you don't really see the struggle from outside. So I wanted to ask you if the journey with Tanzo was as smooth as it appeared to be on the surface. There's a constant struggle with both hands and feet. It's like more like a dog in everything, especially when it comes to, to social media on LinkedIn and everything. It looks like it's a smooth sailing. It never is. And I think that's also part of what you need to embrace as founding a startup. There's always unexpected new input that comes along or founding is uncertainty in itself. You make decisions based on incomplete data. You don't know if this is an optimal decision. And the only thing you can do about it is to iterate and to question yourself. Do you made a decision? Go for it. There's one, one mentor of ours who said that you need to see the, the brick wall in front of you and run as fast as you can and just mm-hmm. hope that the wall is going to break or disappear or whatever. But you have to go full speed and at least try. Mm-hmm. If you hit your head against the wall, at least you did it. And you tried. But yeah, there's a lot of flapping with the feet, but it's also not something you do alone, right? Mm-hmm. You're in both the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of mentors and, and a bigger network that helps out with your question. Um, and maybe I was about to say guide us on a bit on swimming technique. And of course, like the, the team behind it, um, 
you might see the the, the faces of the founders a lot, but there's there's so dedicated and wholeheartedly mission driven people in the team that makes it all stay mm. afloat, even though there's the faces of yeah, the founders right. looking up. And if I may ask, what did you look for when you were looking for your co-founders? Um, so f- for me, um, what I've learned from from founding, I normally compare founding to kind of getting married and having a, a mm-hmm. child together because uh, you spend a lot of hours with them. Um, and you have to look for some partners that you can go through fire with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, and I believe that you get that from having the same values. So we are three founders who are so different. We, we wouldn't meet each other on the weekend, but we have quite a common basis of um, loving people, being very ambitious and smart, want to achieve greatness, um, but having this fundamental of, of um, caring. Uh, we always put the people first and that it's maybe awkward to say we care a lot about each other and we believe that this is a journey that we should enjoy the journey mm-hmm. and not just the, the the mountaintop, but also have good conversations and good growth for, for us and for the entire team along the way. And then it's more about the people you share it with. Can you maybe talk a bit about some of the challenges that you faced and what gets you going through all of them? I think there's challenges every day in different ways and forms. Um, and you have to constantly question your mental model. Am I uh, thinking the, the right thing now? Are my hypotheses right? There's always this, um, I've heard it a lot in the founding world of um, what is a strong, strong hypothesis loosely held. So you need to be clear and outspoken. This is what I currently believe so that you can be challenged on it. Um, and one thing I like is this mental model of you, every time you're wrong, you're more right. So every time you figure out, oh, I'm wrong a little bit, then the rest of your knowledge is more right than what your user was. Um, and we have that constantly. It's everything about customer relations. It's everything about um, what we're developing in the product. Um, we have to continuously question ourselves and then increase increase the evidence that we have for what we want to do. Um, and I think that's also, that's also some, um, I like to call it superpowers because I believe everyone has there are different superpowers, um, and that's maybe one of my superpowers of being curious about things. I love to gather information. I love to also get other people's ideas and get them their input on my ideas, but also being courageous and mm-hmm. daring to say, you know, I don't know if this is right, but it's the most right that I know, and then go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, be hurt, be um, rejected, be get negative feedback, and um, have to get back on your feet. And I think the only way you can stand on your feet is if you're passionate about the topic. If you feel like this is bigger than myself, it's something that I that I really want to see uh, being achieved. So if you don't really have a passion for it or if you go in, um, in, into founding with the wrong intention or not honest with yourself, at least, of what are your intentions, if you don't know them, then I think you will um, not be able to persevere because... It's a constant uphill battle, right? Mm-hmm. You want to reach the mountaintop and, and you, you have, have to, to be, want to get there. Yeah. And <laughs> you have to be with the right people, right? Yeah. 
agree. Thank you so much for diving deeper into the challenges that Tanso has been facing and, of course, still faces. My follow-up question would be basically that you and your co-founders are the face of the company. But what about the team? What do they do? Why are they so important in your day-to-day? Because you have been praising them throughout the session. I was about to say they're they're the one, like they are the company, right? Um, the company is um, its people. Of course, you can say it's, it's its product offerings, but the product offering is a result of the smart minds and hard work of the people within it. Um, but that is true also for interns and getting another person into the team. Uh, we, we talk a lot about like, it's not cultural fit, it's culture ad. So everyone who comes in influences the team in what way? That means some, sometimes there's a guitar popping up in the lunch break and someone singing. And that type of influence of the team, of course, shapes the company. And yes, the founders are there and they are present and they influence them in, and influence the company in their way. Um, but it's the people that that work the hard uh, work part. It's interns, you know. What is you have one intern coming in, and that influences the company and the teams, sub teams within the company. Um, and I think that's, that it's hard to, uh, or I also come from a culture that is less hierarchical than the German culture. Um, meaning that as a as a leader, I also want to be on the same level, eye to eye with my teammates. I want to hear the feedback when they think that we're not doing something good enough. And I rely on that because my level of great has to continuously improve. Mm-hmm. And if I stand still on my level of great, that is currently my level of great without being challenged, without being inspired, without being um, uh, kind of criticized in a positive way of saying, hey, Gary, great idea. It's around 60% good. I know how to make it 80 and that is basically the, the also what we've learned from the CDTM of um, coming together um, and saying this yes and. Mm-hmm. So you have an idea. You know, I, it's not great, but it's something. And then having others picking up that idea and say, I know how to make this even better. Or this aspect of it could become better. Um, and I think that's important as a founder or a, a young founder. This is my career currently. This is my growth and nobody's sitting above me, I was about to say, saying, so this is your growth plan. This is how we're going to make a career for you. This is now your development goals for the next months. Nobody's telling me that mm-hmm. except for my team. Mm-hmm. And that means that I have to grow with the team and learn from them. And they bring in, I depend so much on them to bring in like, hey, Gary, I heard from other startup. They're doing it differently. How about we try it? And then we try it and it doesn't work for us necessarily, but at least we tried and we learned it. Um, and I think that's important for anyone who wants to commit to a company and commit to a growth journey within the same company. You have to get external input. You have to um, to welcome also external input on being inspired by others. I remember this. This uh, this is also what you said in the CTM image video. I remember watching it and you said, the people at CTM, they take your idea at 50% and make it 100%. Exactly. So it's it's quite inspiring how... Or 110. 110%. You know, challenging is yes. the best. The best. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It's really inspiring how, how much you build around your team. What are some best practices that you had at Habitans? Hopefully they're not best. <laughs> Hopefully they're good enough. 
right work now. in progress. Work in progress. Yeah. Best practices. I think there's 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 the people and then there's the processes. And underlying everything is the, are the values. And I think part of it is to be clear on why are we doing what we're doing and what is our ambition level. And one thing, maybe as a super small, it's not a best practice, but I've realized the importance of it is to clear out expectations. And that is not only in terms of you hire someone, you give them a clear expectation. This is the level that we expect you to be at. This is the role. This is the responsibilities you have. I think that's a very important thing to also clear out any misunderstandings. But also in terms of, hey, could you do that? Can you take over this task and responsibility to then clear out what's the timeline, the scope? Do we need to be at 100% or is 30% good enough? Is it just get it done? And there we, we introduced this percentage scheme also saying, hey, I'm not really sure about this draft, but it's my 30%. Can you have a look? And creating this expectation, this is not my best, or this is this is my 90%. Can you have a look as a final look through? Then you also clear out the expectations and create a bit of, of psychological safety of uh, knowing what the other one's feedback. Do you want a completely redoing of this entire idea, or is it just smaller grammatical mistakes that you want to edit if it's your 90 or if it's your 30 percent that yeah i would say just just it's just communication Mm -hmm. but it's such an important part of everything you do to be clear on what do you expect or do you have expectations at all Mm -hmm. right sometimes you just have an idea and it might not be be clear about it and there i get a lot of feedback as well from my team saying hey what do you expect with this like sorry i didn't give you any expectations up front Mm -hmm. i just needed time you know, or I have zero expectations. It's just an idea. Let's do it next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, asking as someone who struggles with feedback a lot, how do you perceive feedback? Essential. Mm-hmm. I think it, without feedback, you only depend on your own sensory input mm-hmm. and your own perception. I don't think feedback is true. It doesn't mean that everything people perceive that is, it's their truth to some degree, but it doesn't have to be your truth. But without feedback, you can't get better. You can't actually improve because you don't get inspired by others saying, hey, I have an idea of how you can get better. That's also feedback. And I think one important thing about feedback is there's a timing to feedback. Like I think Simon Sinek said it, truth doesn't need to hurt. So you can be honest and you can be direct and you can be very clear about feedback but you don't necessarily have to give it to a person when they're laying down. You can say, hey, are you ready to hear this feedback? If someone's super nervous from a presentation and it just came out of it, how did you go? You can say, it it went great. And then afterwards, you can talk about the smaller nuances and how you can make it better. Where you can say, you know, this was 98%. Let's work on the 2% tomorrow. I struggle with giving feedback because I give it very directly. I feel like it's unfair if I sit, if I, I feel like I'm withholding information from you. I don't give it to you because it's, it's a value for me to be transparent and I want to give it to you, Aispa. And then I feel like I'm withholding information. And when I give it to you, I can be brutally honest and direct. And then I feel very good about myself. And there is something I need to, to learn to have empathy of, are you ready to hear the feedback? Do you want it? Maybe you're saying like, you know, I worked so hard to get to this level and it's so hard for me to maintain this level and I'm happy at this level. 
I don't, I'm not yet ready for, I just want to kind of practice at this level. Like if Ronaldo comes to you and say, I know how you can make, become better at football. You'll be like, you know what? I appreciate it. I don't want to hear it right now because I want to practice on my level at first and be confident in my level before I want to. And there's a bit of empathy there that, or not empathy, but there's a bit of understanding for the other person and taking their decision into account. Do you even want it? Yes, you're completely right. Because sometimes, as you were just saying, you might feel good that you said it, but the other person might be overthinking. And of course, that's never good. But um, yeah, I completely understand that there must be a right moment to talk about feedback. And for that, you have to schedule them. Have you, by the way, implemented feedback sessions at Tanzo or have you implemented it within the culture at your company? Yeah, I think we have. So we have weekly feedbacks with the direct report where we just have a, like a space to write smaller feedback. Like, hey, I appreciated last week that you did not that and that. Also to just have a space to talk about it, like smaller things, both in the positive, the reinforcement, what you would like to continue to have and what you what you wish for the other person to to do differently. Um, but also we have quarterly feedback cycles, 360s with the entire team, which yeah. is also interesting because then you hear from people you don't work closely with, but it's more on the on the how you are perceived from the outside and what your cultural influence is into the of the team. And often it's more like a love shower of people appreciating people for mm. for what you also don't always see. You don't see your superpowers that clearly often. Because it's so natural to you, it comes comes easily. And I think now that we are talking about CDTM, can you maybe also talk a bit about how you came to CDTM? Yes. Um, so I applied four times to, four. Get, in, to get into CDTM. Um, went into the interview rounds three times. And knew everyone at some point. I felt <laughs> like, it was like, hi again, it's me. Um, and it, it, my mom even said, like, oh, you're so stubborn. Like, stop <laughs> it. I'm so super persistent. Yeah. And I think, it's, wow. It, it, again, this type of, um, every rejection, of course, hurts, right? You're being told that you're not good enough, um, or that, you know, others are at least better. And that hurts. Like, it's, it's painful. Um, and you try to get feedback and then there's not really, it's just, it wasn't you this time, right? Wow, that's super interesting that you actually applied four times for the CDTM. Maybe, um, do you want to share with us why exactly did you decide to apply to CDTM in the first place? So I, I saw one of these posters, um, Atum, uh, went to one of the info events and had the feeling like, oh, this is interdisciplinary. I was missing a bit the interdisciplinariness at, at Atum in my normal studies um, and then applied um, as I said, four times to to get in. And the last time I even considered not applying, but then one of my best friends from my master's, she got in the semester before um, and said, you know, these are some of the most wholesome and amazing people that you can learn from. Yes, they're kick-ass and you get intimidated and you you feel like you're an imposter um, because everyone is so amazing in themselves. But at the same time, they will help you grow will challenge you and what you where you currently stand and make you thrive uh, and when she said that I was I'll give it the last try um, and then got in and I have to say I think this CDHM like m many people say 
it's the community that is what you get out of it. Um, and it's really the people and the connections you make and the friendships you make. And for me, I've said it before, but CDTM has somewhat become my family in Munich. And for me, the people here is always someone you can rely on. Um, and some of my best friends now are CDTM people. And the, those are the ones that I rely on personally. Um, I also have a CDTM co-founder that, of course, also um, wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have been exposed to the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the same way it wasn't for CDTM. Wow. Okay, so basically CDTM has shaped a lot your entrepreneurial career because thanks to the center, to the program, you've been able to meet one of your co-founders. So how do you think it has shaped you overall? Um, I would not have been exposed to um, the startup world in the same way without the CDTM, the curriculum as well. Um, I know a lot of founders through CDTM that I know are not perfect. I know they're amazing people, but they're not flawless. And that made me, a more, it made it more tangible that if they can found a startup, maybe I can do too. And I just need to uh, cover my weaknesses through other means. Um, I don't think I would found if it wasn't for the CDTM, but that is partially because of the curriculum, which I also noticed is, is great uh, with my co-founder, that we have a common basis for product development, for uh, venture capital and fundraising. You have a bit of common commonalities, um, but most of it is the community and the people that shape you um, and influence you in, in for the better and worse. Right? Um, you you get your cult, your community that that influences you in that way. I think you also left quite a mark on CDTM yourself because I read that you uh, you were the one who started the CDTM Mental Health Initiative, right? How did that come about? So after MPD, um, I had a period of um, losing a bit in touch with myself. It was many factors, everything, like some people will call it burnout, some people will call it depression, but it was a half a year, which was really tough. Um, and I back then didn't seek any help. Also didn't have any capacity for it, didn't feel like I um, would figure it out. And part of the struggle was that I'm a foreigner in Germany. I was on a Norwegian health um, insurance. And then I, I did a, an exchange to, to Switzerland and trying to figure out how, if you're in Germany by TUM, but you're in Switzerland on an exchange and as a Norwegian health insurance, I had no idea how to even get in touch with, with a psychologist. Um, and then a year later, I sent an email to the, the CDM community. Um, so sent to like a thousand people and just, hey, I'm a foreigner. I need help. How does it work if I want to get a, a psychologist? And I got over 100 emails back. So almost 10% of the entire community starting, you know, 2000, like 20 years ago or 25 years ago soon, um, sent uh, answers back and either saying, thank you for being open about it. I'm struggle struggling too. And I would love to get some input as well. I don't know where to start. Or I've been seeing someone for a long time, even I think like 10, 15 of the emails were reply all. Like, I'm doing this. I support this message. And, and here are my recommendations for psychologists. Um, but also, I see it also now more and more. Um, and it, that's the thing about a community. You see that people want to help. Um, and it's a community where you give because other people are giving to you. Um, and that type of community I haven't seen anywhere else. So, um, supporting 
while also being strong personalities, so smart people. And at the same time, they're daring to be courageous and vulnerable and and saying that life is not easy. Life is a battle. And this is how we can together help each other to, to overcome them or be stronger. That is really inspiring. I think it reminds me of a quote by Charles Bukowski. You begin saving the world by saving one person at a time. And everything else is either romanticism or politics. At this point, not that it needs to be asked, but what would you say to someone who's still pondering whether they should apply to CDTM? It's not a question. I would say you still, you, you should apply. And if you're a bit curious about it, if you think that this could be something for you, you should definitely apply. Um, and the effort or the benefit that you get from it outweighs the effort easily. Um, what I normally tell people because I get approached um, for tips, both for interviews and applications before every application deadline. Yeah. Um, and what I would say to everyone is first to just be authentic in your application. Be proud of what you are proud of and and highlight your achievements and really identify also your superpowers. You have to figure out, is it curiosity? Is it empathy? Like, is it, um, can you walk on your hands? You know, like, <laughs> what is your... What is your superpower that makes you you um, and showcase that and not be disheartened by by not being the, the perfect fit mold because there isn't any. We all know that HM, everyone is different, even though maybe on paper they look similar. Um, and I think that that is what you should highlight. What is your, yeah, your superpowers? And what advice would you give to entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs in general? who are thinking about maybe starting a company somewhere in the future? I think, so you have to figure out what do you want to spend your, your work life on? What is important for you? And I think there's, there's a couple of um, opportunities. Like you can be an entrepreneur, you can go into academia. There's so many cool pathways that you can take. What you should think about is what type of ecosystem do you want? Um, founding can be very lonely. Um, and being a leader in general can be quite lonely. Um, so you should think about like, what is important for me? Is it autonomy? Is it a team? Is it a big impact? You know, is this really the path to impact? Um, which I struggled a lot with. Um, and I think you should be honest of if you consider actually founding, you need to be honest with yourself. Why do you want to found? I don't think everyone should found. I also say I would be a great first hire. I'm sure of it. I would be an amazing first hire as well. Um, not uh, only a founder and be honest, is it for fame? Is it for money? Is it for power? Is it for impact? And then be honest, is this really what will get you there? Because you need that type of honesty with yourself and, um, and seeing that your superpowers also fit with that. If your superpower is um, fully analytical thinking and um, making optimal choices with perfect data, the uncertainty of founding is not right for you necessarily. And that you have to be very cautious about. And lastly, you need to find great partners and a team that that covers your weaknesses and also makes you even better. Giri, thank you so much for sitting down and having this conversation with us, especially because it is a sunny Saturday afternoon. It was really nice to sit here and talk to you. We have just one last question for you. We have a tradition here at Mostly Awesome that we ask our podcast guests to forward one question to the next guest that we have. So what would your question be? Oh, um, I have started, because I need a lot of people, I've started to stop saying, I know, who are you? What do you do? 
um, because at some point you get tired and you only hear their CVs. And um, so I've started asking, so what are you uh, excited about? Or what are you now learning? Because then you often get more deeper level questions immediately. Um, so I think that would be, be maybe the question I would ask. Or uh, my favorite question of asking people how they're actually doing and not just like, how are you? Yes, I'm fine. Um, if you ask them, how are you sleeping? Mm-hmm. Then you often get quite good um, good assessments of where they, where they actually are in life. Thank you, Giri, so much for coming today to the center and recording such a special podcast episode with us. Of course, thank you, Ali, and thank you, Ruby, and thank you, everyone who is listening to us right now. This is Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the personal journey of innovators and changemakers. We talk to doers and thinkers to understand what motivates them and why they do what they do. This season of the Mostly Awesome podcast is brought to you by the CDTM, the Center for Digital Technology and Management. And this episode is a product of great teamwork together with Ruby Tang, Ali Rasa, and myself, Claudia Delmao. If you like our podcast and you would like to support our work, please rate us on the platform you're listening on and share the episode with your friends and family who might be interested in the topics we just discussed. We'd like to invite inspiring guests with diverse cultural backgrounds to our podcasts. Thank you for tuning in and see you soon.